Hello, our four podcast listeners. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Xavier Hershowitz with a special episode of our four podcast. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we put together an hour-long special on mental health, really covering issue from all angles. If you haven't had a chance to listen to our behind-the-scenes podcast that, please go give it a listen. And if you haven't had a chance to watch the special itself, well, I don't know what you're doing because you are clearly not on top of it. We'll have a link for you on news.com and our YouTube page if you haven't seen it. But this podcast, we wanted to go a little deeper and share with you my full unedited conversation with the founder and executive director of 217 Recovery. His name's Corey Winfield. He himself is someone in recovery and has been sober now for about three years. He, now here's the thing that, that, that really intrigued me with Corey's story. He went into treatment 15 times, 15 times before the whole thing really clicked and he really transformed his life and is now living in recovery. And one of the things that he did to help him cope in those early days of recovery was creating a podcast, 217 Recovery. It's the 217 Recovery podcast, but he's done so much with it since then. It's now grown into a 5013C nonprofit. That just means he's official out here, okay, in these nonprofit streets. But also, he's added on top of that, being a nonprofit, he helps transport people in crisis to treatment centers all over the state of Michigan. And he, he's not doing it because it, it makes him money. He's doing it because he's been there. And he actually, we'll hear him in a second say he's so thankful he's not in the back seat anymore. But what really makes his him transporting someone to one of these facilities a little bit unique is that he's been in their shoes, right? So if they were on a bus or in an Uber or in a taxi, um, or even if their family was the one taking them, it's not the same because Corey has been in their shoes. He can have a conversation with these people unlike anything anyone that hasn't been there and done that can. And that's what really sets his him being able to transport these people apart. Corey is a fascinating guy. We really loved our conversation, but there was only so much we can get into. In fact, we talked for about an hour and we can only do so much on TV. And I wanted to share this with you all because there's a lot of really good information he had. But one particular group in, in particular that I think this podcast is really going to help is the families of those battling addiction. If you have a family member, if you have a loved one, a friend that you have been in this battle of addiction with them because it really is a battle. It's really tough. Corey really does help us understand what that's like and why they do some of the things they do. Obviously, every person's different, but Corey really does teach a lot about what it's like not just living with an addiction, but also living in recovery. So if that doesn't count for you, if you don't fall into that category, but you know someone that it that does, share this podcast. But even if you don't know anyone you know, battling an, an addiction, Corey's story, Corey's life, and what Corey's been through is sure to change you. So here it is. Here's our unedited 
conversation with the founder and executive director of 217 Recovery, Traverse City's own Corey Winfield. You mentioned on, on the website in 2015 you were hospitalized for renal failure. Um, that was one of the first times you kind of, you know, heard you know the doctors kind of bluntly say some things to you. What, from some of those early days when you were really battling, what do you remember? What was what was kind of, what were you battling with then? I, well, that's the funny thing about it is I didn't know. I didn't know what I was battling, and a lot of people don't understand that when we drink a lot, use drugs, we're using that as a coping mechanism, and I didn't realize it at the time. And with alcohol, it's one of those things that once it progresses, like it doesn't say on the label, hey, one day you're going to need 12 of these, <laughs> and then the next, you're going to be need 16, and you know what, then you're going to be needing a whole fifth because you're chasing that because of the tolerance and how that works. So it doesn't say that on the bottle, but as you keep drinking, you know, six turns into eight, eight turns into 10, next thing you know, you're off to the races. And for me, it, it was very difficult. I was working in radio, I was program director, promotions director, the community director, you know, I was the website guy, I was doing it all. And our bosses lived in Fayetteville. I was kind of running the Fort Smith cluster. So they never really came down, didn't see me. And I was pulling it off. You know, I was doing what I needed to do. Stations were running. We were at places we needed to be. We were doing uh, we're doing great things with the community too. But when I went home, I'd start to drink hardcore, and until I passed out and get up and do it again, um, I started to notice the shakes, and I, th I thought, well, what's what's this about? You know, it's my blood pressure medicine. It's always something else, and what really what it is, yeah. which I found later on. Uh, when a therapist told me that, you know, I was like, you protect the bottle, Corey. But the shakes would start and the bosses would start coming down once a month for meetings and then we'd go out to lunch and I wouldn't eat anything. And I would sit at the table and I'd have my hands underneath the table. I didn't even want to touch my drink, you know, my water because my hand was shaking so bad. And one time my boss did see me. He's like, what's wrong, man? Uh, it's my blood pressure medicine. I ran out, you know, it was always a medicine. It was always yeah. something else. Yeah. And I started having this pain in my stomach and it was really bad and co-worker uh, Steve Knoll, he, he was just tired of hearing me moan. We shared an office at that time and he's like, man, something's wrong, dude. He's like, you're going to call a doctor right now. And he walked, actually walked over to my phone and picked it up and dialed the numbers and said, here, make an appointment. And I did. I went to see my doctor and he sent me over to see a gastrologist and I was yellow. I was jaundiced. I didn't even know what jaundice meant at that time. I had to Google it and I thought, that's not good. Uh, it's when your your liver is shutting down, you know, and I'm thinking I'll drink lemon juice and that'll help, but it didn't. Um, I was rushed to the hospital and they said if I went home that night and went to bed, I would have died. I wouldn't have woken up. And I think that's just doctors trying to kill my fun, right? Not at first. At first I was like, wow, I'll never drink again. You know, I was in the hospital almost a month, so that's that's a wake up call. And the doctors, I remember when I was leaving, they said you must have had a lot of people praying for you because we thought you were going to die. Ninety-eight percent of people in your condition die. And I thought, wow, well, okay. He's like, so how long have you been an alcoholic? You know, and I was like, I'm sorry. He's like, no, nah, man, I just had a good month. I had the whole month off the before, and I, you know, I just went hard. He's like, you might have had a good month, but no, this is, this damage has been done. How long have you been an alcoholic? And just that term, alcoholic. You know, when I when I was growing up, it wasn't a good term. You know, so and so is an alcoholic. They beat their wife, and you know, so and so is he can't hold the job. You know, he's a loser. He's an alcoholic. I had a job, you know, I was an important guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not an alcoholic, you know, so I had a really hard time putting it together that I'm an alcoholic. Had, had that thought ever crossed your mind before, or was that the first time 
it had ever even crossed your mind? Or was it more or less a moment where you finally were forced to confront it? Yeah, that's the first time I was forced to confront it. I've had family members say, Corey, you and your drinking, you need to slow down on your, it was always your drinking and mm -hmm. ah, whatever. I didn't know how to slow down on my drinking, but that was the first time, yeah, that somebody had flat out said, you're an alcoholic, you know, called me. You know, he didn't say, are you an alcoholic? He said, how long you been an alcoholic? Yeah. So that for me was just like, whoa, hold on there, man. You know, like, those fighting words. Mm -hmm. I, I just had a problem. And I knew when the shaking started that, okay, this isn't good. Yeah. You know, and it's not the blood pressure medication. I tried blaming it on that. I knew deep down it wasn't. But I didn't know how to stop. Yeah. So that was in 2015. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until 2018, mm -hmm. the end of 2018 and the start of 2019, that things really started to change for you. Um, you know, that it was your 15th time yeah. in recovery. Tell me about the first 14 times. Mm. And yeah, so let's just start there. What okay, was the first, this first is, 14 times? This is the good part of the story. Okay. This is where it just keeps going down. Oh, I don't know if I'd call that the oh, good no, it's, part. Oh, no, it's great. So, okay. so the wake-up call, we'll call the, the hospital, and, you know, <laughs> internal organs failing is kind of a wake-up call, you'd think. It, it really was. But they asked me, do you need a therapist? you need, you know, AA meetings? you need any, any help? When I left the hospital, <laughs> I don't need any of that, man. I'm not like those people. Uh, I'm just going to not drink. And it was just me being uneducated about addiction. That's how I thought it worked. And a lot of people do think that today. Yeah. So I made it three or four months, and Labor Day comes around, or Memorial Day, and I thought, I can have a beer again. Them doctors, I'm telling you, they're just trying to kill my fun. And I didn't die. They said my liver would, could seize up, and then I, I would I'd be done, and it didn't. So I went out the next day and got some hard stuff and chugged that, and I didn't die. I got really sick, though, but it must have been the pork. Yeah. Because I don't cook pork. So it's always so it was the, Yeah, it was the yeah. pork, man. It was definitely the pork. Yeah. So even called in, I never called in. And I called in three days that week. And by the end of the week, I started feeling a little better. So I got another bottle and drank it. And I woke up that next day the same way. And that's when the light bulb came on. I'm like, hey, look, it's the alcohol. And that's, that's when I knew that, okay, I can't do this on my own. Yeah. I need to go to treatment. And iHeartMedia, who I worked for at the time, they were great. They were like, take as much time as you need. Here's your FMLA papers. Go get better, man. And I did. I went to L.A. the first time. That was interesting. Uh, a couple weeks, and I'm like, meh, I'm good on that. Yeah. Mm, go back home. And so I did. And so that was the first time. Um, and I had pretty good insurance then, so it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. It was kind of it was tough getting in there. Uh, it took me over two weeks. And then by the time I was actually getting around to go to a place, they told me I'd been clean too long. So just go ahead and drink again. And I said, but, I, but my liver, see, my problem is, yeah. you know, I really can't. And now that I'm clean again, I, I don't want to go through that sickness again. Yeah. And so it was, it was really tough. And people get told that to this, to this day, you know, well, you've been clean too long. We can't let you in. But I have a problem. I, you know, and when they go to jail, yeah. you know, and they get out, oh, well, you've been clean for, for two weeks now. You're good. No, I have a problem. Yeah. I want to get help. No, no, yeah. we're, we're not going to allow you to do that. And that just baffles me, man. Yeah. It really does. And people out there dying, and you know, you get these people that are making these decisions for you, and it's like, wait, what? Well, and it takes so much, right? It takes so much for you to work inside yes. yourself to get up and walk into a place and say, I need help, and then mm -hmm. for them to turn you away because you've been clean too long. Yeah. It's crazy. And for me, working in radio, I thought I'd be fired if I came forward and said I have a drinking problem. So. In the summer of 2015, or 2015, in the summer of 2015, I got a message from the radio station I started at when I was 17 back in Benton Harbor. 
and they're like, hey, we want you to come work for us. And they'd reached out to me before, and I was like, you guys aren't even close on money. It's not going to work. And they're like, no, no, we got a new GM, and he pays. <laughs> Here's what I made last year. They're like, all right, we got that. And we'll give you some more. You get bonuses on Okay. Let's move back yeah, home. Yeah. Well, they didn't know anything about the liver, the drinking, nothing. Yeah. And at that time, I was, I was fighting it. You know, but I thought, this is what I need. I'm, I'm going to move back to Michigan. I'm going to come back home. Yeah. Station I started at, it's fix great. it. It's good. Nobody yeah. know. This, this would be a good thing. And that's when depression hit me. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't sell my house. This relationship that I was trying to have, it, it, was, it was blown up in my face. Everything seemed to be falling apart around me. And my mom came to me. And I was sober at this time. And I didn't realize that being sober and away from alcohol actually causes depression. Yeah. So between that and moving and realizing this job's not what I thought it was, the GM was not who I thought he was, I, I just felt like my world was just falling apart and I just ruined my life by coming back home. And I went to my bosses, it was two days before Christmas, and I said, I need to go get help and I need to go to Pine Rest. Um, I'm, I'm severely depressed and so I went to Pine Rest um, in early 2016. I got out, went back to, I got out and the radio station like, we need to talk to you immediately. I'm on my way home, you know, I'm getting a ride on the way home. They're like, here, you need to talk to the, the GM. I'm like, what? I got a two week note here. I'm like, I'm, ah. Yeah. And they're like, we need to meet with you immediately. And then they passed me this letter. Didn't even say hi to me. They just passed me this letter and I opened it and it said, you've been suspended for two weeks with no pay, demoted from the program director, demoted from the warning show. How was I supposed to react? And I, I just went there for that. I'm like, oh my God, if I told them, you know, I had a drinking problem too, you know? Yeah. And I filed a complaint, a complaint with the state, you know, the EEOC and whatever. And they're like, well, I mean, clearly they're lying, but unless they actually write down and tell us, yeah, we fired him because he was depressed. Yeah. There's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Okay, thanks. You know, and so that was a whole big ordeal, but um, back and forth the Pine Rest many times. Um, I got on Medicaid then too, and that was kind of interesting uh, going through the system that way. Yeah, and this is between 2015 and 2018? Yeah, 2016 is when I really started going to a lot of different treatment centers. Yeah. And a lot of the same ones, you know, there's one in Berrien Springs, um, Pine Rest, like I said, quite a few times, mm -hmm. uh, Grand Rapids, there's a few that I went there. A few to, there's a few that I went to in Grand Rapids. Um, Guiding Light was an interesting one. They have a back-to-work program, and I don't know, it was, it was different. Yeah. But I learned something each time from, from each one, and my problem with that, and why, you, why do you think, how can you go to 15 and so many? It's because I would only stay a week or two, and then I'd figure something out, like, oh, my feelings, that's why I'm, I'm drinking, it's, it's my feelings, but I wouldn't stay for the next week of, well, how do you deal with these feelings? Yeah. So. It was something that I had to kind of piece together. I wouldn't recommend that. I'd recommend just going and staying. Yeah. You know, just go through the uncomfortableness of it all. But yeah, a couple things I want to follow up on in there. One, you know, I think that there are going to be people watching this that have family members for sure, or themselves that have battled addiction, and oftentimes, I think for many people, I know that. The, the people that have battled addiction in my own family go get treatment, get out, relapse, and then go back in again. And I think a lot of times, especially those that aren't battling the addiction, 
are kind of scratch our heads at that a little bit or even you know if you really have battled with this person roll your eyes almost because it's like if you didn't get it this time why do you think you're going to get it this time and what do we have to do for you to get it like we just want you to mm -hmm. get it for the family members that are watching this and here oh my gosh this guy went 15 times before mm -hmm. he got it what do you think it was about the 15th time that really made you change? I went in with a different attitude. And that's, this was the first time I was actually forced to go mm -hmm. by the courts. And so I thought, okay, well, A, I can't just leave. I took that notion right out. Before, I would always look for an excuse. Bed bugs. Uh, so I would, I, there was always an excuse you can find, you know. This time, I didn't have that option. So it's like, all right, well, I'm going to hunker down and, and stay there. And when I went into treatment, I was 30 days, just about 30 days clean. So that, I think, helped as well. Um, I was just coming from jail. <laughs> and they first told me, no, you can't go because you've been almost 30 days clean. So you've got it. You're fixed. And my therapist in Benton Harbor said, no. <laughs> Why don't you tell them the story, Corey? Tell, tell them how you made this 30. And I was like, well, I was in jail. And then they put me on alcohol tether. And then instead of going to my apartment, I stayed on my mom's couch because I still didn't trust myself. So different mindset going in and time to prepare and mentally think about it and when they sentenced me it's like all right cool got a year probation i have to do whatever they say go to go to treatment he wanted to go 90 days to a year and i said well let's do, let's do the 90 please um and when i was in there i thought okay i can be the guy that's sitting in the corner who hates it and i can i won't want to be here or i could thought or i could think about it you know i'm gonna have fun in recovery and i'm gonna learn about myself and those those are two key things and then when I was in there, I started thinking about what I put above alcohol. It wasn't family. Sorry, Mom. It wasn't family. It wasn't relationships. It wasn't my cat. My, nothing. Except when I was on the radio. Early on in my career, I drank on the radio because it made me, I thought, better. Mm -hmm. um, then I heard a commercial I had done when I was really drunk, and I thought, oh, my God, how am I not fired? So I swore then that I would never drink on the air again, and I never did. And that's the only thing I put above drinking. Mm -hmm. So people have been telling me since I got out of radio, start a podcast, start a podcast. I'm about what? About my recovery, you know? So I'm, I'm starting to piece it together slowly and find my purpose. And there was a woman who worked at the treatment center, her name was Joyce, and she gave me hope. You know, she really did. She was in recovery herself, and she kind of had that attitude of she's not taking anything from anybody, you know? And, and she just, it, it really, helped me to move forward with, with my dreams and then go into sober living afterward and um, some of the guys that were in room 217, that's where 217 recovery comes from, went to the sober living house with me and to this day, I think if they didn't, I don't know if I ever would have started the podcast, you know, but since I had them, it was kind of a comfort thing and there's 16 other guys in the house and here I, this guy is walking around with a microphone and start a podcast, who is yeah. this guy, you know, and they, yeah. they looked at me like that, like who does he think he is? You know, this guy, what are you, you're three months clean, you're talking about recovery? I was talking about my recovery. I was talking about how my day went. Yeah. And how we were having, early on, fun in recovery. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't think that's possible, but we were doing it, and kind of blew up from there. And that's, that's kind of the interesting thing, I think, about 217 recovery, is it, it, the sense I got from all of my, you know, very esteemed research I <laughs> before I got here, <laughs> was that this was really started as a way for you yourself to kind of cope and live 
in recovery. Did you think when you started this that it would impact as many people and as many lives as it is now? No. No. When, like you said, I started it for, for my own personal reason, you know, for me to stay sober and to have fun in recovery. And it wasn't until I don't know, a few weeks after we started, maybe a month or so after we started, living at the sober living house I did at Nathan's house in Boyne City, we had to get a service position. And some of the guys were like, oh, I make coffee at the meeting down there. Oh, I clean up, I pick up chairs, whatever. We had to have something, and I didn't have anything. And it came to me, and we had to read off the sheet, and I'm like, service position, uh, I'm still working on it. He's like, Wait, no, Corey, you do the podcast. And I thought, what? He's like, I've talked to people that listen to it. You know, you're helping people with that. And I thought, what? He's like, yeah, man, Like by sharing your story, you're helping people. And that's when it first hit me, and I'm like, oh, okay. I'm really? Okay, cool. And I guess I'll keep doing it, you know, and it kind of went from there. But then I started noticing too, like different different holes in, in the system. And it's like, okay, well, transportation, especially in Northern Michigan, is, is a huge deal. And what is everybody doing about it? <laughs> and there's nothing. Yeah, we know it's a problem. It's like, well, okay, well, I'm gonna do something about it then. And people tell me you can't and this and that. And I love it when people tell me I can't do something because then I go ahead and do it. And a lot of doors closed in my face. and. It would have been easy to give up, but I just put my trust in God and just kept going for it and figured out, you know, like, whatever I'm doing now isn't something that I just came up with. Like, it, God's put me in the right spot and opened the right doors, you know. But it, it's, it's been nuts, man. Um, people reach out all the time and family members, though, you know, like, I, that's what really hit me at first and surprised me because I just thought, Oh, a bunch of people in early recovery are going to be listening. No, it was family members because they wanted to listen to hear like what their son or daughter was going through and what they were thinking at the time. And I just thought that was very interesting when I was like, huh, you know, and I, a couple of times I gave them my mom's phone number, I'm like, call my mom. Yeah. You know, she, I put her through hell, Yeah. you know, 15 times. Can you imagine? Like there was points where my stepdad was just like, like not doing it again, man. And then they started to learn. You know, at first they thought, you know, it's not a party. They thought I was doing it for fun. And being away and the way I drank for so long, they didn't know until I moved back home. And then it was like, pff, everything blew up. And they thought, man, you know, Corey, it's not a party. And slowly but surely they realized that, okay, Corey's not drinking because it's fun. Like, every time I see Corey drunk, it is it's miserable. Like, yeah. he's sick as a dog. Like, there, there's no fun happening here, you know. And I think that's when they started to get that I was drinking to, to kind of cope with whatever I, I was trying to hide. And I didn't know what that was, mm -hmm. you know, until... I kind of went to um, the treatment center that last time and I really started thinking like, okay, let's peel the layers back as they say, you know, it's like an onion, just peel the layers back yeah. and started doing that and it helped. You know, kind of to that point, you, I read this on your website, you, um, you say the funny thing is as much as I thought I hit it, I was usually only making it worse. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that you had mentioned so many family members listen to your podcast and it really helps them 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 learn and I guess kind of take us inside so to speak the mind of someone going through a battle like this because I think I do think sometimes we those of us that that aren't battling an addiction it's easy for us, especially, to kind of cast people aside, mm -hmm. right? And 
um, you know, it can be difficult to really understand. You know, you mentioned y your your mom and your stepdad. Can you kind of take us inside the mind a little bit? Of uh, someone who's going through that or the family members? Someone that's going through that. Okay. Because, <laughs> I mean, like you, you mentioned, I, I you bring up the quote because you mentioned that you thought you were hiding it. You thought mm -hmm. this was something that, you know, you were doing and no one aware was aware of, but in actuality, it was getting worse. Yeah, when when I kind of when I came back home, I thought I kind of had it under control, and and I and I did until the whole radio station thing happened and the suspension. Then I ended up getting fired from there, and that I had never been fired. I've been radio twenty years, never been fired. You know, like not even close. I should have been fired, uh, but but no, I hadn't been. And I thought, man, this is this is horrible. So. That's kind of when it first started, and I, I would I would drink, and just not see anybody. You know, I would I would turn off my phone even, um, and it was just kind of running around like that. And I, I would I would make it a week, and and I wouldn't go to treatment every time I would relapse. But then, you know, people would say, oh yeah, we know you were drinking, and especially if I did have my phone on, that's why I started turning my phone off because I'd get on Facebook, and and here comes the rants again, you yeah. know, and yeah. the phone calls and the text messaging, and mm -hmm. it went from being Corey who I am to this like drunken angry guy, and I see exactly what they're talking about, you know, people, I I see it. You know, I see it now yeah. um, at least once a week. You know, somebody will say something, and they're all mad at the world, and Sarah Belts' fault. It's like, well, damn, did I really think that way too? Did I yeah. did I really blame everybody else? And I did. You know, it's really hard to look at ourselves and say, okay, here's the problem. It's you. You know, we don't want us to be the problem. I wanted them to say that I was bipolar, and luckily the doctor that I went to in Grand Rapids was like, we don't know if you're bipolar. You know, you've been drinking for so long, like. It's going to take a couple of years for us to even see. Yeah. You know, you got to be sober for a couple of years before we can even tell it for your bipolar. But not all doctors are like that. Some are like, yep, here's your pills, and now you're hooked on those. And not hooked on them, but sometimes you can't get off of them, you know. And thankful that, you know, that doctor wasn't just throwing pills at me. And Yeah. Do you ever, sometimes when you hear about some of the things you did, some of the things you said, or some of the, or you you know look back at some of the decisions you made. Um, do you ever kind of? I don't like the word regret, but do you ever? Are you kind of shocked sometimes when you hear about the when you heard about the things you did or the things you said or? No, um, the, the things I did and said were pretty stupid, but it was the things that scared me. That really kind of hit home, and, and by that I mean. There was a time we rode the, the bus to the Cowboys game, and I was puking in the bathroom. That's embarrassing. You know, I felt bad for the person I was with at that time. That's embarrassing. Um, there was the time that, I, you know, I peed in the car. I mean, just like those things are just, yeah. just silly. Yeah. yeah. But it was the time that I came to in my car with somebody knocking on the window saying, hey, buddy, what are you doing? And I'm in my apartment complex parking spot, and I'm going, what do you mean? And he's like, what are you doing? He almost killed somebody. <laughs> what are you talking about? I get out of the car, and he's like, you're drunk. And I said, yes, I am. And I'm in my pajama pants and a T-shirt. It's December 1st or whatever it was. So it's like snowing out, and I have no idea what's going on. 
And the guy's like, you were just driving around. And I didn't drink and drive. You know, if you would have pulled me over on the way to the liquor store the next morning, oh, yeah, I, you, yeah, I would have blown hot. But when you consume that much alcohol, that's just leveling you out. And it, that is the real truth of it. You know, like you give somebody three beers, they're going to be, I don't know if they've never drank before in my addiction. Like, the, what do you, what, I don't what do you mess with that. But so anyway, coming to that point of, oh, my God, like, I don't remember any of this. And knowing that, yeah, I could have killed somebody and I wouldn't have even remembered, you know, like, where was I? And there was nowhere for me to even go. Like, I didn't need anything. Like, that was the really weird part of it. And I thought yeah. the cops had set me up. I mean, everything was, yeah. you know, but in the reality, I'm just thankful that I didn't kill anybody and that I, that I did tell them, call the cops then, you know, and I waited outside. I could have walked inside my apartment, locked the door and went to bed. But I said, yeah. no, I'm going to wait here for him. You know, and I, I think that's a God thing, too. Um, I think he was just like, all right, Corey, it's, it's time for you to kind of learn a little lesson and and that's all the cops wanted me to do too and you know they didn't breathalyze me because they knew because they had been to my house for a welfare yeah. check so yeah. they were like we're gonna have to take him to the hospital so let's just not breathalyze him take him to the jail and got there and they fingerprinted me and the guy was like oh you're gonna be like that then and I'm like like what you know I was being cool and threw me in the drunk tank because they knew again if they would breathalyze me it was way over the yeah. 0.25 and yeah. they would have to take me and they wanted me to learn a lesson and I did you know I mean as, as weird as that may seem um, I'm glad it all happened the way it did, yeah. but it's scary. Those are the ones that I'm just like, oh, thank God, you know, like. Yeah, you couldn't have. I mean, oh. you would have never had the you could have never had the opportunity to do what you're doing now no. if those situations would have went a different way. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And when I got out of jail that first time, uh, the judge said, you know, don't drink, whatever, and we'll see it, and we we'll sent you and. I get home, and there's the half gallon sitting on the counter. There, there was really no, there's my wallet, there's my cell phone, there's yeah. my vape. I mean, there was no, order for me to, no reason for me to go anywhere. So then I drank again. And that was a Friday, and I remember waking up to a text message from my mother saying, hey, Corey, when are you going to pay your rent? And I said, I'll pay it on Monday. And she said, honey, it's Wednesday. And that was another like what and I looked around and there's just empty fifths and I'm empty half gallons and I'm going oh my gosh like, I don't how did I buy these where did did somebody come and bring them like yeah that like that's when boom reality hit home and that's when I when I got sentenced I was just like I'm not going back to my apartment I'm, I'm gonna sleep on my mom's couch and thankfully she let me she let me do that and she knew it was a battle she wasn't gonna drive me to treatment yeah. you know up in northern Michigan but I was like that's where I, that's where I need to go and and she said, okay, well, good luck. Um, when you went in that 15th time, did you even imagine, could you have even imagined the life you have today? No, no. If you'd have told me, I mean, just three years ago, a little over three years ago is when I got out of treatment and we started everything. And it still blows my mind. Um, early April was like the one year anniversary. I think it was the sixth or something. We did our first podcast and I went back and listened to it for the first time. And even in that first podcast, we got one microphone and we're, we're sitting in the sober living house and we're passing it to each other. And I said, well, don't worry, guys. One day I'm going to have a bad studio, man. It's going gonna, it's gonna to have a studio and it's, it's going to be nice. And they're kind of laughing. I mean, from the first episode, you know, I had a vision. Yeah. You know, it was, it was because uh, I, I felt like I had purpose with it. You know, I was given that hope by that one person. And you never know what person is going to give you that hope. You know, some people will say, oh, this treatment center is better than that one. I don't know. It, it all depends on the person and how they go in. And yeah, it could be the craziest person saying the craziest thing that can give you hope sometimes. But if you have hope, then you can have purpose. And if you have purpose, you move them forward. 
And I think that is what really kind of helped me. Do you feel like you're able to give people hope through this podcast? I guess. I, mean, I asked my wife that the other day on a podcast. My wife, Marnie, co-hosts with me. And I said, honey, I don't understand. You know, I was like, I don't know why people believe in me or why they follow me even, you know. And she's like, well, it's because you're doing what you need to do, you know. She's like, you're great. And I was like, she's biased, though. <laughs> <laughs> she's biased. You know, she's a big fan. But, but no, and sometimes, I don't know, it, it, it takes me a minute to just let it sink in because it's like am I really doing that and am I really doing that you know and then you go back to three years ago and it's just like wait a minute that guy that guy's doing stuff that's really helping people and you know people dig what I'm doing and and you've taken it beyond the podcast I mean you mentioned the transportation work yeah. that you do that has to be heart-wrenching you do you know you speak you speak, I see that you're, you're going to a rally in Lansing later this month, yeah. and then tomorrow night we're going to the event with you. What, you know, I think a lot of times we all, every single one of us has some sort of mess in our life, right? We all have that thing that we've been dealing with, that we've worked on, and a lot of times we take that thing, even if we get through it and we get through it successfully and we've learned from it, we take it and we kind of put it away. What has made you want to share what you've been through not just in the podcast but really through all these different ways that you do that what made you what gave you the drive to do that my wife <laughs> she told me you're doing it <laughs> no the well a little bit is that no no she my wife really is a huge part of of what I do and who I am and and just the fact that she's the how do I say? She's the um, the, the good angel. <laughs> you know, I guess that you know that that's a good way to put it. Because yeah. sometimes that that devil over here, the El Diablo, is uh, he gets loud and he's oh, Corey, do this, do that, and she kind of reels me in a little bit sometimes. It makes me think about other people, you know. And the more you think about other people, the less you think about yourself. The the rally you mentioned, I, I was all kind of bent out of shape. Like, you know, how come we're not getting like a bigger sponsorship you know how come we're just getting this little one and then it occurred to me what have I done for them you know so I told one of the guys I'm, I'm gonna make you guys a PSA so I put them together a PSA that they can deliver to radio stations whatever made them a little video and say here you go you know and they're like oh my gosh Corey thanks a lot you know wow and we want you to help more and this and that you know so like sometimes you got to think about other people yeah you know instead of what am I getting what am I getting mm -hmm. hey about what am I giving and then watch, watch it come back, and you're, you'll be so surprised by how much stuff will come back. Has, when you are interacting with people through the podcast, through, you know, an event, through a rally, through transportation, through mm -hmm. the various means that you, you interact with, with this community, what's it like for you when you can help someone or you see someone kind of in that state you were in? What's it like for you when you get to help someone on the same journey you were on it's like looking in a mirror you know it, it's almost like whoa, whoa, whoa hold on man I, i'm gonna get you uh on sunday we had to go i had to get this guy um from lansing and take him to flint and he started telling me he's like you know people places and things people are telling me i need to change people places and things but i don't go anywhere 
You know, they're telling me don't go to the bar. I don't go to the bar. They're saying don't hang out with, you know, bad people. I, don't, I just hang out with myself. And I started laughing. I said, I got you, man, because I was the same way. Yeah. I thought the same way. Like, how am I supposed to change all this? And I said, what they mean is you need to go change those things. You know, go to the recovery rally. Go to, go to a meeting. AANA, Celebrate Recovery, Dharma, whatever kind of meeting. Go. Go to the food bank. Donate your time. You know, walk around the block. Go meet people go to places yeah. you know like you have to physically go out and do those not just sit back and go Ugh. you know but I, but I was in that same mm -hmm. mentality of well I'm not do you know I don't go to bars it's too expensive I don't, I don't hang out with people who you know do drugs and drink you got to seek those things out so just just seeing that you know just the other day it was just like oh I was like I wish somebody would have told me that a lot sooner too yeah. and he's like now that you say that that makes it makes a lot of sense you know and so hopefully and I know it did I mean he heard me Will, will he make it? I don't know. You know, hopefully he does. He seemed like a good dude and seems like he was tired of it. And, yeah. you know, I wasn't judging him. And, you know, that's something that when we give people rides like that, it feels so good. You know, um, I, <laughs> I saw this other place gives people rides only to their place. And, you know, their people arrived at the same time I did. And I just remember thinking, like, those poor people, they did not have the same conversation yeah. that the guy that I had, you know. And yeah. that was a good heart conversation you know heart-to-heart -heart conversation where these guys you know roll up and I'm hearing rap songs talking about drugs I'm like wow like they pay that guy to drive that guy to the yeah. like I don't know it's sad you know it, it's just a Steve Wade was telling me the other day he said anybody can drive somebody somewhere he's like it's what you do is, is so different you know what you do is you talk to the people you, you coach the people you know you're one of them you know so and one of them who's made it, yeah. you know, so far, knock on wood. That wasn't wood. <laughs> <laughs> the sentiment was Yeah, there. yeah. But, you know, but that's, that's what he said. He's like, you know, you're, you're one of them, and, you know, you can relate to them, and you can talk to them heart to heart and one-on-one, -on -one and anybody can get a ride. He's like, what you're doing isn't giving someone a ride. You're pretty much coaching and counseling. I'm like, I'm not a counselor. He's like, no, you're not, but you can be a life coach, you know, and all this yeah. and that. And I was like, yeah, I guess, whatever. But just sharing my experiences with people and, that's the thing about, you know, addiction and all of our stories, they're all so similar. You know, it, it blows my mind because it seems like I was, I was the only one that's ever going to go through this. And then yeah. you learn, oh, no, no, there's, there's been millions that have went through this. And, you know, that right there should give people some hope that, no, you can pull yourself out of it. And for the family members that are, are thinking, you know, oh, Jeff, he's never going to get it. You know, oh, my God, Jared, what are you doing this time? And, or whoever, I'm just making up names. Yeah. But hang in there, you know, learn as much as you can. Uh, I gave my mom's number out once, and I don't think that was a good idea. But just do what you can. You know, families against narcotics, you know, they're there for you. Uh, Nancy Dow, you know, get a hold of her. Nancy's great. I always refer to people to her. Like, people are texting me, like, my husband, how do I make him? I'm like, Nancy Dow. Yeah. You know, I, I, I hope to never be on the other side of that one day where I'm like, oh, my son, you know, ah. Yeah. Uh, I really hope not to be, but you never know. Addiction doesn't discriminate. I don't care if you're rich, you're poor, white, black, male, female, whatever you want. It doesn't. It doesn't matter, you know. And I think that's that's the point that a lot of people in Northern Michigan are are understanding. Yeah. You know, it, unfortunately, it's not like that all over the state, but we don't live all over the state, <laughs> you know. When you are out and you, you, you know, connect with people that are either, you know, in crisis or on their road to recovery, how does that impact your own personal recovery, if it does at all? 
Like just somebody I know or well, just anybody instance, in general? Like when you picked the gentleman up, up earlier this week, mm -hmm. when you have those experiences, does it, does it do anything for your own personal journey in recovery? Oh yeah. Yeah, helping other people is one of the foundations of a lot of different like groups, like AA, NA, and all that. Mm -hmm. You know, doing what you do for others is, is something that makes you feel good because there's something in the brain, and I could go through the whole spiel with you, but when you do things for other people, when you complete tasks, your brain gives you that, ooh, that yeah. feel good. And yeah. it's very small compared to what the, the drug at first does to us, but it, it gives us some kind of sense of pride, you know? And yeah. so when I'm taking somebody that, that needs a ride, you know, and needs treatment, you know, taking them to treatment, I love taking them home for treatment. That's that's fun, and they're talking about the plans and stuff. Two different conversations, but but yeah, it's 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 rewarding. And sometimes I think, you know, did I did I say the right things, or you know, did I leave my personal beliefs at the door today? You know, when it when it comes to this one, or or whatever it may be. And I just am glad that I'm not in the back seat anymore. Yeah. You know, I'm glad that that's not me back there. And there's another guy who drives for us too, uh, Justin, and he, after the first couple of rides, he called, he's like, man, I could do this all day, every day. He's like, this is awesome. Just because he was getting such a yeah. euphoric, like, boom, from helping people, you know, and I think that's what could really kick off a lot of great things for people in recovery is like, hey, if you could drive, you know, other people to recovery, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it would open a lot of things up for people, but it's a hard one because I don't trust a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. You can't have everybody do it. No. And do, you, do you feel like, do you ever feel like you're helping yourself? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very selfish. I do all this for me. <laughs> I, do. <laughs> I do. If this didn't make me feel good, I wouldn't do it. You know, the podcasts I do for me, you know, the, the rides. The rides I do for others, but I kind of look at it like this. My nephews, they're six and seven, yeah. you know. Um, my niece, you know, nieces, you know, they're, they're young. One day they're gonna come across this. I just said addiction doesn't discriminate. Is yeah. it gonna hit one of them, both of them, all of them? Yeah. I want them to know they can pick up the phone and say, Uncle Corey, come get me, I need help. You know, or just Uncle Corey, how did I get in this mess? Uncle Corey, how do I stop? Pick it up, call me, yeah. you know, but I want them to have an easier time, not the time that I had to call and get the third degree of, oh, you're gonna learn anything different this time? What's gonna be so different this time? You've already been, how many times? Oh, you know, I, I don't want them to have that. I want them to pick up the phone and someone to be on the other end that's really gonna help them without judging them. We don't need to shame people to death, unless shaming people to death does help, I don't know. I haven't seen research where it, where it says it does, but if it helps them, I guess, but again, yeah. to shame to death. So it's probably not helping, but yeah, just just so I'm helping my future generations of Winfields or people. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know, if I have kids one day, I just I just want them to know that. Wow, Papa Corey did some really cool things for people, and you know, really stood stood up for us, and that's great. You know, so it's it's very selfish. When you. I, I I get the sense that this is just the beginning for 217 recovery. When you 
I guess what's next for you all? What, what do you want to do next? Is there something you're working towards? Like, what, what is your hope for this organization? Honey. Oh, shit, I'm listening so I can say what I want to. No. Well, if you ask her, she'll just say, oh, my gosh. Like, I have so many big dreams, man. I, I want to make a movie. You know, I want my friend Ron to do a documentary. And those are two different movies. And then I want to do a comedy special with stand-up comedy. And I think this will be a lot of fun. And there's a place in town here that's closing, um, but they're, they're moving. But I want to get it filmed there and go on tour. You know, tour America, like hear these guys in recovery, yeah. and that would kind of be a documentary, and then just show the stand-up and stuff, and I think that would be really fun, and that would be a good one to show in treatment centers. Like, look at these guys, man. They're out there, they're having fun. These guys are in recovery. They're at these places where they're serving drinks all over the place. There's yeah. drugs in the, in the back alley, but yet they're going around having fun and telling jokes, and some of them suck, but you know what? They did it. And that's really what, at the end of the day, you want 217 Recovery to be about. It's, it. it it's about all of the things in recovery, but it's also about promoting fun in recovery. It is. You know, and that's, that's how we kind of started, you know, having fun in recovery, and then it was, you know, helping others, helping people in early recovery, you know, and it's, it's kind of a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. And in seeing, like, hey, wait a minute, this isn't happening right. Like, we got to do something about this. Because yeah. I, I heard somebody say one time they were mad about the school systems not teaching their kids something. And the response to that was, well, if you want your kids to learn something, how about you teach them? Yeah. And so I kind of looked at it like that, is saying, hey, there's a hole over here. It's transportation. Everybody knows it. What are we doing about it? Nothing. Okay, well, I got this. You know, a kind of, kind of approach to it. And, you know, but, yeah, and that, that's one side of it, you know, giving people rides, doing the podcast is for me. Yeah. You know, um, but, yeah, just having fun in recovery and showing people that we can have fun. And if I can do it, they can do it. You know, you've said several times that doing the podcast is for you. Mm -hmm. And I know you get a lot from it. Mm -hmm. But I also know there's so many people that listen to this and have gotten a lot from it. Why do you keep saying it's for you, though? Because it's for me. It, it was in my blood. It was the one thing, like I said, that was the one thing that I put above alcohol was being on the air. And that's why when we started the podcast, I did it at night. You know, we would publish them about 9 o'clock at night because I wanted to make sure that, and of course I was living in sober living, so I didn't want to be drinking anyway because I'd get kicked out. Yeah. But I had to make it all day without drinking. And then we would come home, we would usually hit a meeting, we, we'd process our days and, and how things went. So it really kind of worked out great. And kind of the same thing today, you know, it gives me some to do at the end of the day. We used to do it four days a week, now we do it three. Once we got the record for the most podcast about recovery, <laughs> once we got that, that record, we're like, all right, let's slow it down, let someone else catch up. But we got like 630 of them or 640, I don't know, something like that. It's crazy to think about how many episodes there really are. Yeah. Um, but three days a week, man, you know, like it's something that at the end of the day, and I drag my wife in here because she didn't sign up for it, but she's doing it now, and, and she's really good, and she gives a, a good... When I let her talk, she gives a good um, insight, narrative, insight. I didn't want to use insight. She gives a good option for people who are tired of hearing me talk. Yeah. It's another option, you know, because yeah. they're like, all right, Corey, it's enough. But no, but she brings another side of the, of the table because what she experienced, even though alcohol is our main drug, we've done them all. And the things that she's been through, a lot of women go through. Mm -hmm. 
And I couldn't imagine that, you know, and so she can really help people in that way. And, and she does, she does a great job at that. And, you know, she works locally at a place and, you know, she does great things, man. And she's, she's a good co-host. But when I drag her in here at 10 o'clock on a Saturday, she looks at me sometimes like, uh, we got to do this. And sometimes I, I get to that, but it, yeah. it's one of those things that we just, we have to do it. And, you know, we kind of keep them about a half an hour, so it's not too bad. But, but yeah, I do it. it it's for me, man. And I kind of used to joke about, well, my mom listens. I'm just doing it for her. You know, like me and my mom, you know, that, that's, that's all that really matters. But no, a lot of people do this and, and, and it's cool, I guess, but it's, it's just for me. You know, we don't want any advertisers on there. People have called, hey, can you? And I was like, no, no, no. No, I'm not going to do that because the minute I do that, it, it's not for me anymore. And yeah, you want to sponsor the website or something? Sure, that's fine, but yeah. but not the podcast, you know. And that, that frees it up to where I can just say whatever I want. You know, I can say eggs are bad. I don't know if they are or not. Yeah. You know, there's going to be somebody that watches this and says, "Oh my God, that's me." You know. Oh, there'll be a lot of people. What would you say to those people? Don't give up. You know, um, there, there's two people that I would want to say that to. The one person is the, the person struggling, or the, or the person that might be in early recovery and that's just that teetering. It gets better, man. It, it really does. The more time you have away from that substance, whatever it is, it could be ice cream, <laughs> you know, for real. Mm -hmm. Sugar is, is a monster. More, the more distance you can put in between your last using that, the better it gets, the easier it gets. And your mind will start, your mind will start to, to clear out. But do the things that you need to do. You know, there, there are things that you know you need to do, but you don't want to do them. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's, that was a difference that really helped me too, is doing the things that I needed to do versus the things I wanted to. I didn't want to live with 16 different guys. I didn't want to clean the bathroom for 16 different guys, but I did. Mm -hmm. You know, I needed to do that. And that really helped me transition. So just hang in there and do the things that you need to do. You know, there was a, a story I, I talk at the place in town here once a week on Wednesdays. And I was talking about how I opened up the fridge. I'm a big fan of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> and I was out of jelly. I used the sugar-free jelly. And so I grabbed my wife's jelly and I grabbed it and I make a sandwich. And when I grabbed it, I noticed that on the bottom, like on the fridge there, there was this jelly splot, you know, and I was like, man, that's gross. Like, why didn't, it's her jelly. You know, what she's not doing, you know. And, and so I make my sandwich with the jelly, I put the lid on, and I go to put it back, and that's, that's, that's the moment right there. I look down, I see the jelly still there. Am I going to be part of the problem, or am I going to be the solution? So I took, seriously, 10 seconds, got a rag, wet, do -do -do done, put it back, close the door, and I didn't even tell my wife about it. You know, but I told those guys later because it was that moment of I had a choice right then. Mm -hmm. Put it back, keep living the same, same way I've been living that's not working. Mm -hmm. Or do I want to be a part of this? Do I want to live in a house with a fridge that's all jacked up? Nah. I don't care if it's my wife's, if it's my kids, whatever. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? You're going to be part of the problem or part of the solution. And, and I had that moment, and that's why I shared it with those guys. And I went back a couple weeks later, and they're like, we're still talking about, man the jar clean the jar bro and i was like okay wow like it's just those life moments sometimes that you'll catch yourself and you have a, a choice right then you know like what are you going to do and it's making the, the better choice of doing what you need to do versus what you want to i want to just put it back yeah i'm so i'm so lazy i didn't want to yeah. take the the eight seconds or whatever it took me to just clean it up yeah but 
Um, and to the, the families, you know, don't give up. It's tough. I, I don't know what you're going through, but I know what I put my mom through. And if you're going through even half of that, you need a, need a medal. There was so much there that Corey said that I think can stick with you, obviously, from our hour-long conversation. There was so many things that, that struck me. To kind of go back from the beginning, you know, when he said the doctor asked him, how long have you been an alcoholic? That was, that was really a moving moment in our conversation, but also in Corey's life because no one had ever used that word. And it kind of really bluntly forced him to open his eyes and realize what he was, what, what, what the denial he was living in. And sometimes I think no matter what, no matter what our situation is, maybe we're not battling addiction, but maybe there's just that area that if your life that you know is not really where it needs to be and you're avoiding it. And I think in that particular instance, in that part of Corey's story, what it taught me was that we can ignore those those things that we know are messed up, but at some point you're going to have to face it. And either it can be you finding it within yourself to just no longer live in denial, or at some point someone's going to smack you back into reality. And for Corey, that's what it took, but that wasn't all it took. It you know It took a lot for him to finally really move forward with his life in recovery, you know, 15 times in treatment. And I think that's one of the why I say this podcast is so key for family members of those that are battling an addiction because it it gives you hope, right? I mean, if your family member's not on the 15th time, hey, you know, it took this guy 15 times to get it. And so his story really does kind of take you inside what this world's like, but it gives hope. It gives so much hope. One of the things Corey said to me that I loved, he said, whatever I'm doing now, it's not something I've just come up with. God's put me in the right spot and opened the right doors. And that really is the way he lives his life. That's what he does. You know, he has so many amazing ideas for 217 recovery. We have Joe in the room here with us. Joe, I have to tell you this. This guy, branding genius, okay? He has 217 recovery candles, 217 recovery coasters, t-shirts, underwear, hats, hoodies, sweatpants. We got in his car to shoot some B-roll. His floor mats, 217 recovery. I mean, he lives and breathes this, and he wants so many things. I'm not even going to I'm not even going to let the world out on some of the things he has planned cuz it's really really is awesome what he's doing there. And he just really wants to be a light and help people just like him. You know, one of the things when we were talking about the rides that I was really curious on was if this how how this impacted him. And how how these rides kind of move for him. And he said it's like looking in a mirror when he picks these people up from all over the state. And, and one of the things Corey doesn't talk about in the podcast is that a lot of the times he's not even able to break even on these transports. So to take you behind the scenes a little bit, the way it works is a facility 
um, a probation officer in some cases, a social worker, um, you know, places like addiction treatment services, any one of those uh, institutions in the community, uh, uh, a lawyer possibly, will call him and say, hey, we have um, John Doe who needs to be taken to this facility in Flint from Grand Rapids. And he'll drive to Grand Rapids, which you know is not a short drive from Traverse City, pick that person up, then drive them to Flint, and then drive them back. And a lot of times it's the insurance companies or the facilities themselves that then reimburse him or issue him a check. And a lot of times these facilities only want to pay for the ride. But Corey still has to come from Traverse City and then get back to Traverse City. So in some cases for these transports, he's not even he's not even breaking even on doing this. And on top of that, you know, some of these people when they're in crisis and he goes and picks them up, um, at the event we went to, he told us the story of this of this gentleman that he picked up that she, he had tennis shoes on that looked like sandals to give you an idea of how how bad shape these were in, and Corey was like, I can't just let this guy keep walking around like this, and he went and he bought him some shoes. He had another woman that was hungry that hadn't eaten, who knows how many days, and he stopped and bought her food. I say all that to say a lot of this. It, Corey is such a humble person, and he doesn't go into a lot of the things that he does for these people above and beyond, you know, what he's been been asked to do. Um, but he, it is a nonprofit, and if you were looking to support him or support Two Seventeen Recovery and what they're doing to make a difference in the lives of so many people, not just in Northern Michigan, but really all over the state. Um, we'll have a link for you on our website, 9 and 10 newscom where you can connect with this podcast, connect with Corey, but also if you know we're so inclined to help donate and help fund some of the awesome stuff he's doing. I want to leave you with this. You know, One of the things that I instantly could tell in our interview with Corey, and I know you just heard this, but I want to mention it again, and I want to end our podcast with this, was, you know, there's so many people that that, wa- that watched his story or are listening to this podcast and are like, oh my God, that's me. That's me. And Corey's advice is just don't give up. It gets better. And I think his story reminds us and shows us you know whether if it's an addiction or whatever your life storm is right we all have storms in life but Corey's story shows us that even if you keep pushing and you keep doing the things you have to do and the things you need to do and keep moving forward one day at a time you there is hope and you can get through it and you can have a better life on the other end of this you know I asked him could he ever have imagined when he went into recovery that 15th time, the life he was having now, that was just three years ago. And he could never, he would have never imagined what he was doing now. So I just want you to take a second, no matter what you're dealing with, and remember that not only is there hope, but you can, you can, and you will get through it. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to our podcast, and we'll see you on TV.